Well, hi, everybody. It's good to be with you today. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you're at. It's hard to believe that this is the 19th weekend that we have not been able to meet as a church. And it's still so very surreal to come into this room and to see all these empty chairs, except for our tech team, to whom I am so grateful for, uh, for what they're doing. But uh, we're going to keep at it, and we're going to keep bringing you the Word of God, and I hope that you will be encouraged today. You know, in 1971, a guy named Fred Smith started an overnight shipping, shipping company called Federal Express. Almost immediately, the company blew up. And for those of you who are old like me, that means that the company took off. It didn't really explode, but it took off, and it became an overnight sensation. Over time, the customers started talking about FedExing their packages from here to there. They didn't talk about Federal Expressing their packages, but they talked about FedExing their packages from one location to the other. Well, Fred Smith, being the smart Yale guy that he is, decided to change the name of the company to FedEx. So he hired a design team to come up with a new logo. And they initially came up with 200 different designs, and then they whittled it down to five, five of the best designs. And now, and now all they needed to do was show it to Fred Smith. So they got together one day, put those five designs on a wall in the conference room, and waited for Fred Smith to walk in. And when he did, he said almost immediately, I want that one. I want that one. And he pointed to the logo uh, that's right here, this one here, and he says, I want that logo. And uh, when he was asked why he wanted that logo, he said, I like it because of the arrow. I like the arrow. Do you see the arrow? The designer didn't even tell him about the arrow, but Fred Smith noticed it right away. He liked the arrow, he said, because it symbolized what he wanted his company to be known for. And that's speed and precision, precision and direction. Do you see it? The arrow is right here. Fred Smith saw something in the logo that a lot of people didn't see. Most people have missed it. Let me give you another example. I love ice cream. In fact, Sunday, this Sunday is uh, National Ice Cream Day. And I love ice cream, and probably all of you are familiar with Baskin and Robbins. Here's their logo. Baskin and Robbins was a company started in 1945 by Bert Baskin and Irv Robbins. Hopefully, as you look at this logo, you'll see the B for Baskin and the R for Robbins. But there's something else in the logo that you may not have noticed. Take a look. Do you see it? It's the number 31 in pink. And 31 is the number of flavors that they serve. You know, I've been eating at Baskin and Robbins for years, but this is the first time, as I was preparing for this message, this is the first time that I noticed the number 31 in their logo. Here's another one. The whole world is familiar with this logo. Take a look at it. This Starbucks logo has been around since 2011. When designers started working on this particular logo, they wanted it to be cleaner and crisper than the one before. And they wanted the siren, that's what they referred to the woman as, the a siren. They wanted her to be perfectly symmetrical. They wanted her to be perfect. 
But when they came up with the design, their creative director said, something's not working here. Something's not right. And they couldn't figure it out. So they put up the logo in their conference room and they mulled it over and over and over and they said, hey, they wrestled with it, argued about it for seven years. For seven years and they finally figured it out. The problem they decided was that she was too perfect. She needed to be less perfect, less symmetrical. So you know what they did? Take a look at it. The designers decided to lengthen her nose on the right side. Just a touch maybe a centimeter, and that's what they came up with. And this is their logo, and you probably never noticed. You know, if you're joining us for the first time today, we're in a series called uh, The Eye of a Lion, and we learned that lions have these amazing eyes, and they can see things that people can't see, especially in the dark. And so for the last few weeks, we've been looking at some characters in the Bible who, have spiritual, who had spiritual eyes of a lion. And they could see things that other people couldn't see. No one else could see. In the first week, we looked at the prophet Jeremiah. And when Israel faced one of her darkest times, when Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was destroyed, Jeremiah saw something that no one else saw. He saw God's steadfast love and how it never ceases and how his mercies uh, never end. They are new every morning and God's faithfulness is great. In the second week, we looked at the story of Esther. When an evil prime minister decreed that all the Jews would be killed, Esther's cousin Mordecai went to her. Mordecai had the spiritual eyes of a lion and he noticed what Esther the queen didn't notice. That God made her queen. He had given her privilege for a purpose. For such a time as this. To save her people. And then last week we looked at the story of David and Goliath. When the nation of Israel was literally brought to its knees. By this Philistine giant. David had the spiritual eyes of a lion. And he didn't see Goliath as an obstacle. As the nation of Israel did. But he looked at Goliath. And he saw an opportunity. And he was able to defeat him. But today, I want us to look at another character who had the eyes of a lion. And that was Peter, who was one of Jesus' disciples. And during a time of great turmoil and fear for the church, he noticed what others in the church didn't notice. And what he noticed has implications for us even today. So for the next 25 minutes or so, I'm going to ask you just to stop whatever you're doing. Grab a Bible Turn to 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament. Grab something to write with and something to write on. And better yet, if you've got our app, open up our South Bay Community Church app. If you don't have it, go get it. You can get it from the Play Store, the Google Store, whatever the store it is. And uh, you can take notes there. And uh, if you get our app, uh, you can rewatch the message later on this week. And, and by the way, you can also... Uh, from our app, you can also get our podcast. We have a podcast. You can access our podcast there or go to the Apple Podcast app or the Google uh, Podcast app. Search for SBCC Live, and the messages, will, they should all be there. They should all pop up, and then you can download them and listen to them um, while you're driving in the car, when you're taking a walk. You can do whatever. So get a hold of that, all right? So let's pray first, and then we'll get into today's message. Let's pray. Father, thank you 
thank you, thank you so much that we as a church can continue to meet. And, it, and it's really kind of hard to believe that it's been 19 weeks now that uh, we haven't been able to meet. And it still doesn't feel normal. Um, it really doesn't. And I would imagine that's true even for all those who are watching uh, from their homes or even from their office computers. And Father, even in spite of the fact that we can't be together today, Father, as we open up your word, because your word is uh, the inspired and errant word of God, because it is timeless, it goes out and it doesn't return void, I ask, God, that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would touch our hearts today, Lord, from your word, so that we might, in every sense of the word, have a genuine faith and be the people you want us to be. So thank you, Father. Speak to us today, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Most of you might remember that about six years ago, ISIS uh, went on a killing spree. And they started killing, capturing and beheading and killing uh, all kinds of people, including a lot of Christians. And they would videotape their executions and then release it to the media so that the whole world could see it. And uh, this image here was taken from one of their videos uh, when they murdered 21 Egyptian Christians on a beach uh, along the Mediterranean. Today, terror groups affiliated with ISIS are on the rampage in places like Nigeria, where they are killing Christians by the thousands. Recently, one little boy told of how Islamic militants surrounded uh, his village, his family's home in northern Nigeria, and how they shot their a father to death right before their eyes. Then they kicked the door open and shot the boy's two brothers. And then they attacked the little boy and his sister with machetes, leaving them completely disfigured for the rest of their lives. Uh, just this week, a civil liberties group reported that more than 1,200 Christians have been killed in Nigeria since January of this year. That comes to about 200 per month, 50 per week. And then according to the International Committee on Nigeria, Islamic militants have slaughtered nearly 35,000 Christians between 2015 and 2020. That's 35,000 Christians have been killed. And when the Apostle Peter wrote 1 Peter around 64, 65 AD, the circumstances that Christ followers faced was very similar to what Nigerian Christians are up, to, up against today. Believers were being systematically massacred by the Roman Empire led by uh, Emperor Nero. Here's a bust of Nero that's housed at a museum in Rome. On the evening of July 19th, this is kind of weird, but July 19th, that's this weekend, in the year 64 AD, uh, that would have been exactly... 1,956 years ago, exactly 1,956 years ago, a, a devastating fire broke out at this, near the Circus Maximus, uh, which was Rome's chariot racing stadium. According to Tacitus, uh, whom modern scholars consider to be Rome's greatest, one of, greatest, one of Rome's greatest historians, the fire that broke out raged for nearly 10 days and it destroyed two-thirds of the city of Rome. Soon, rumors started to circulate that Nero, the emperor himself, started the fire so he could rebuild Rome to his liking. 
Now, in order to divert attention and suspicion away from him, Nero accused Christians of starting the fire. Here's what Tacitus wrote about the incident. Quote, to stop the rumor that he had set Rome on fire, he falsely charged with guilt and punished with the most fearful tortures, the persons commonly called Christians. And so Nero made Christians the scapegoat. And under his orders, the Roman government implemented a program of systematic religious cleansing by arresting, torturing, and killing Christians. And Nero was absolutely ruthless in the way that he went about killing Christians. English historian John Fox wrote this of Nero. He said, quote, So prodigious a monster of nature was he, more like a beast, yea, rather a devil than a man, that he seemed to be born to the destruction of men. Such was his wretched cruelty that he caused to be put to death his mother, his brother-in-law, his sister, his wife, and his instructors. Fox said that Nero was a monster, more like the devil, the devil incarnate who killed his own mother and his own wife and his own sister. No one has ever been able to put a figure on the number of Christians who were killed during this time, but another historian named Eusebius said that great multitudes were murdered, great multitudes, probably thousands, perhaps Tens of thousands, it's not inconceivable that hundreds of thousands of Christians were killed during this time. And thus, Nero's persecution of Christians prompted Christians to flee for their lives. All throughout the Roman Empire, they had to flee for their lives. And they went underground and they went into hiding. And churches shut down. And so Peter wrote a series of letters, wrote a series of letters named after him to encourage believers who had scattered for their lives. Take a look at the first verse in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. All right, I can stop right there. Right in this very first verse, in the very first phrase of the verse, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, Simply here, Peter was identifying himself as the author of this letter. He would always write your name at the beginning of a letter to identify it, uh, the author. And this was Peter. And then in the second phrase, he spelled out who he was writing to. He wrote, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in these various places, Pontus, Galatius, Cappadocia, and Asia. That was the Roman Empire. The word elect here refers to believers. We are the elect. The word exiles here refers to those who are wandering out around, wandering about without a home. They were refugees, in other words. And then the word dispersion. You want, want to circle that word dispersion. It means to scatter. It's the Greek word diaspora. Diaspora, and it means to scatter. And so Peter wrote this letter to scattered refugee believers in Jesus. And in all likelihood, they weren't meeting in a church unless they were doing so in secret. The church was shut down and had gone underground and into hiding and people were terrified for their lives. And they were probably wondering, what in the world is going on? And in this letter, Peter pointed out two things, two very significant things. He gave, provided for us two spiritual insights that we may not be aware of concerning these circumstances. The first was this. The first was this. The devil is at work. 
The devil is working. Satan is at work. You can write that one down. Peter alluded to this near the end of uh, his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Peter wrote, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You know, at the end of verse 8, we circle the word devour. Circle the word devour in your Bible. In the Greek, the word devour means to destroy, or it means to swallow up, or it means to gulp down completely. And the word was used to describe an animal that swallows its prey. And that's exactly, and the word is used here because that's exactly what Satan was doing. He was swallowing down his prey. He was swallowing people up. He was gulping them down. He was destroying people. And that's what the devil does. He destroys people. He destroys lives. Second, circle the word prowl. Circle the word prowl. In the Greek, this is a word which appears in the present active indicative form, which denotes an ongoing action. Present active indicative denotes an ongoing action. So it can be translated, the devil is prowling. The devil is prowling. And the idea here is the devil never stops prowling. He never takes vacation. He never takes a time out. He never takes a break from prowling. He prowls incessantly. He he prowls constantly. He never stops working. And that's what the present active indicative means. And so all of this fear... All of this hiding, all of this panic, all of this terror, all this death wasn't God's doing. It was Satan's doing. And that's true even today. Today, Satan and his demons are at work. They are prowling, seeking someone to devour. They are working constantly, 24-7, to strengthen their grip on the world. 2 Corinthians 4.4 tells us that Satan is the god of this world. They are working to stoke fear and hate. They are working to embolden the enemies of God. They relentlessly attack believers by tempting them, by getting them to act more like children of the devil than children of God. They are working to undermine the testimony of Christ's followers. They are working to destroy marriages. They are working to destroy families. They are working to destroy pastors. They are working to destroy churches and to take them down through such means as false teachers. And sometimes they'll even destroy churches by burning them down to the ground and by killing the worshipers inside, as we are seeing in Nigeria. Make no mistake about it, the devil is working today. He is at work today. Last week, I heard about an encounter that someone had with a demon that made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. And I don't even have any hair on the back of my neck. And for the last few months, I have sensed the enemy's attack on my own, on my own life almost on a daily basis. But thanks to your prayers, I'm still standing. So, Peter wrote... Peter wrote that the devil is at work. He, he wrote one other thing. He wrote one other thing that, that he saw that others may have missed. And here's what he wrote. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Go to the first chapter in verse 6. Here's what he wrote. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know what Peter wanted the church to know here? 
You know what he saw here that maybe everybody else might have missed? He wanted them to know that God was at work. He wanted to know that God was at work. The devil was at work, but he also wanted us to know that God is at work. You know, centuries ago, there was a man named Habakkuk. God called him to be a prophet to the nation of Judah during a very dark time when the nation was engulfed in evil. According to Pastor John MacArthur's uh, study Bible, he said that he wrote that violence and, and wickedness were pervasive in Judah at the time of Habakkuk. He said it was unchecked and justice had disappeared from the land. And Habakkuk wondered, where is God? Where is God and what is he doing? And you know what God said in response to Habakkuk's question? Habakkuk 1.5. Take a look at this. This is such a great verse. God said, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Isn't that great? In the midst of pervasive and unchecked wickedness and violence, and surely the devil's fingerprints were all over that, God told Habakkuk, I am working. I am working. And he was working in such a way that he wouldn't believe it, that Habakkuk wouldn't believe it even if he told him what he was doing. Isn't that great? I love this. This has become one of my favorite verses during this pandemic. The promise that God is working even when we see evil all around us. Even when the devil is working, God is working. So write that one down. God is working. You know, when the, when the devil works, it's always bad. When God works... It's always good. When the devil works, it's always to kill and to destroy. But when God works, it's always to, to give life. It's always to build up. Whenever the devil works, it's always to spread lies and more lies and more lies because he is the father of lies. But whenever God works, it's always to proclaim the truth. It is always to tell the truth. Whenever the devil works, it's always because he hates he hates and he hates, but whenever God works, it's always because he loves, because God is love. The devil may be working today, but so is God. In fact, John five seventeen. take a look at this great verse. Jesus answered them. He said, my father is working until now, and I am working. My father is working, and I am working. And not only is the father working, but Jesus was working, and not only is Jesus working, the Holy Spirit is working. Right? It's three against one, and the devil doesn't have a chance. Not only that, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit don't have to work as hard as the devil does because they're more powerful than the devil. And one day, when they're all done working, when they're all done working, the devil will finally get his due, according to Revelation 20.10. I'll just put it up here for you. I'm not going to read it. But he, one day he and the Antichrist will get their due and they will be thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for that to happen. And speaking of the Antichrist, he's referred to here as the beast in Revelation 20.10. Speaking of the Antichrist, in just a few weeks, we haven't set the date yet, but we're going to begin a new series here uh, on the end times, because I know many of you have been, have been wondering whether or not we're living in the, in the last days, and so we're going to be talking about that here very, very soon. So don't miss it. Keep coming back and keep watching our messages. In fact, subscribe to our videos on YouTube and then hit the notification button so you'll know when it's coming up. But Peter said that God is working. 
God is working, and I can't tell you how comforting it is to know that God is working because when you look around, when you look at the news every single day, it's so easy to get bummed out. It's so easy to get discouraged because the pandemic is not getting better. It's getting worse. And people are, are, each other's, are, are at each other's throats. The other day, I heard a terrible story about a bus driver who uh, told four of his passengers they weren't wearing masks. So he told his, these four passengers they need to put on their mask. Otherwise, they need to get off the bus. And these four passengers went ballistic. They yanked the bus driver off the bus pulled him to the sidewalk and beat him to death. They killed him. They murdered him. And when you see what's going on in the world today, when you find yourself in four months of isolation, you can't go hang out with your friends. You can't see your family. You can't visit with your grandkids. You can't give them a hug. I mean, it's easy to get discouraged. And it's easy to get down. It's easy to get bummed out. And I just have one four-letter word for you. Don't. Don't get down. Don't get down because God is at work. God is at work today. Now, I don't know if you know this, but I love watches. I love watches. The most beautiful watch I ever owned was a Rolex. I mean, who wouldn't love a Rolex? And the Rolex was a gift to me from the chairman of our elder board, Rod Sugiyama. This is Rod and I right here. This is when we were in Israel. But what a, what a kind and thoughtful man he is, that he would buy me a Rolex. You know, these watches go for about $25,000. When he presented the watch to me, I was absolutely floored. I was flabbergasted. And by the way, I asked him, he didn't use church money to buy it. He better not. But it was the most beautiful watch, beautiful watch I'd ever seen, I ever owned. And uh, it looked like this. This is what it, the watch looked like. And I, and I remarked to him, I said, gee, it must have cost you a fortune and uh, he told me that he got a real good deal on it. In fact, he, he even told me how much he paid for it. When he told me the price, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe it. My, my jaw dropped to the ground. He told me he paid only $10 for it. He bought it from a man on a street somewhere in China. And sure enough, a week later, no kidding, a week later, it stopped working. It was a fake watch, a fake Rolex. And it was so cheaply made that I couldn't even open the back to replace the battery because I wanted to keep it. So you know what I did? I gave it to the folks at Waste Management. They even brought a truck to pick it up and haul it away. It may have looked real, but it wasn't. Take a look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 to 7 again. You know, one of the ways that Peter saw God working was in the way that he could uh, take what the devil was doing and turn it around and use it for his own purposes. And in this particular case, Peter said that God was using their trials, which Satan was brought about in the first place. He was using their trials to test the genuineness of their faith. We see that in verse 7. You see, God uses trials to test our faith, the genuineness of our faith, in order to determine whether our faith is fake or whether it's real. You can write that one down. God is working to test our faith. You see, in a sense, trials can, um, to put it in the vernacular, separate the men from the boys. Trials can separate the men from the boys. It can weed out the fake and the frauds. In his book, Living Above the Level of Mediocrity, Pastor Chuck Swindoll tells the story of a small house church 
that was located somewhere in what was once called the Soviet Union. The church was, a, was always uh, was a secret church. It gathered secretly because it was against the law back then to, uh, to meet as a church. And believers would, uh, would always arrive at different times so as not to arouse the suspicion of the KGB. Well, in the back of their minds, there was always concern that someone might infiltrate their church and rat them out. Well, soon they were all, this one particular Sunday, they were all finally gathered inside the church and they quietly began to worship and to pray when suddenly the door just burst open and in walked these two soldiers carrying automatic weapons. And they ordered everyone to stand up and get against the wall. And they said to them, everyone against the wall, and if you renounce your faith, you won't die and you can leave now. And almost immediately, several people walked out the door, just scurried out the door, and then a couple more left, and then a couple more left. Then another person left. Then another person left. And then finally the soldiers shouted, this is your last chance. Renounce your faith or face the consequences. And then a few more people left, followed by one or two more. And after that, no one moved. Parents, many of them remained with their small children. They trembled in fear. And they fully expected to die in a hail of gunfire. After a few moments of complete silence, the soldiers closed the door. They lowered their guns. And they announced, we are Christians too. And we have learned from experience that unless people are willing to die for their faith, you can't trust them. They can't be trusted. And now we know whose faith is real and whose faith isn't. And then they proceeded to have church and worship the Lord together. You see, the truth is, not everyone's faith is real. Not everyone who claims to be a Christ follower is. One of the scariest verses in the Bible is Matthew 7.21. Take a look at it, Matthew 7.21. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus said, not everyone who claims to be a Christian is a Christian. Not everyone who thinks he's going to heaven is going to heaven. You think about it, this is a very terrifying verse because it speaks to deception. It speaks about fakery, about Christians who are frauds. And God knows who they are. He knows who they are because he knows our hearts. And the implication here is that there are people in the church who think they are Christians, but they're not. And there are people in the church who think they're going to heaven, but they're not. They are deceived. And when they die, they won't go to heaven. And if Jesus comes to take the church home before they die, if he comes to take the church home in an event referred to as the rapture, and we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks, they won't be taken up. They'll be left behind. Going back to what Peter said, he basically said, there is faith, and then there is faith. There is fake faith, and then there is genuine faith. And trials can reveal what kind of faith you have. And the only kind of faith to have is a genuine faith. Today, we're going through trials unlike anything that we've ever experienced before as a church, as a country, as a world. It's, we've never seen anything like this. 
I don't think it's as bad as what Nigerian Christians are going through today, but nevertheless, it is bad. It is tough. It is hard. It is hard emotionally and mentally and physically and even spiritually. And how you respond to this trial will reveal the kind of faith that you have. And do you know what we're hearing? Let me tell you what we're hearing. At the beginning of the pandemic, we heard that people in record numbers were Googling words like church and God and Jesus. And the first few Sundays during the lockdown, millions of people flocked to online church services. Millions. And it seemed as if a revival was about to break out. But after about a month, those numbers started to drop. They started to plummet like a rock. Just recently, the Barna Research Group issued a 2020 State of the Church report. And here was the headline on their website. One in three practicing Christians has stopped attending church during COVID-19. One in three practicing Christians has stopped attending church during COVID-19. That's three out of every 10. 33 out of every 100 people. 300 out of every 1,000 people has stopped going to church or watching church online. Barna also found that 50% of practicing Christian millennials, 50% of them have stopped attending church altogether. And Barna said that these are people who attended church before the shutdown, but they don't anymore. They don't even watch online services. And to be honest with you, this is what causes me to have sleepless nights. This is what worries me because of what Jesus said. I said a few weeks ago, and I'll say it again, this is not the time to slack off on your faith. This is not the time to go on a spiritual vacation. This is not the time to become lackadaisical because lackadaisical because, you know, when it comes to Jesus. Now is not the time to stop reading your Bible. Now is not the time to stop uh, praying and spending all your time watching Netflix. Now is the time to get right with God. Now is the time to get serious about your faith. Now is the time to clean up your act. Now is the time to turn away from your sins and turn to God and follow Him with all you've got. So that if Jesus happens to show up anytime soon, and that's always a possibility. Or if Jesus happens to take you home to be with him because of the coronavirus or for any other reason, your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. The very last thing you want to do is leave this, leave this world, leave this earth, with a fake faith. You do not want to have a fake faith. And see, and that's what Peter saw. Church may have missed it, but that's what he saw. Their church was going through a horrendous time. Believers were going through a horrendous time. But he had the spiritual eyes of a lion to see that the devil was at work, but God was also working. And God was using the trials to test the genuineness of their faith. Church, I believe that that's what's going on today. Our, our faith is being tested. I believe that we're being tasted. I believe your, your faith is being tested to see if it's the real deal.
to see if it's genuine or not. Let me close with this. In February 2018, this girl, Leah Shariba, she was 14 years old at the time. She was kidnapped from her girl's school in northern Nigeria by Boko Haram, which is affiliated with ISIS. She was kidnapped along with 109, 110 girls altogether, 109 other girls between the ages of 11 and 19. That day, during the attack, during the kidnapping, five girls were, ki were killed. And eventually, eventually, over time, terrorists released all of the girls except Leah, who is still in captivity today. And she's reportedly alive. And they refused to release her because she was the only one who would not renounce her Christian faith and convert to Islam. She was the only one. And so Boko Haram decided to keep her, and they declared that she would be their slave for the rest of her life. You know, on the one hand, it's a very heartbreaking story, and it really is heartbreaking, but it's also a very awe-inspiring story. Because here's this 14-year-old girl, and her faith, her faith is genuine. She's now 16. And her faith will be found a result in praise and glory and honor to Jesus. Let me ask you something. Will your faith result in praise and glory and honor to Jesus? It will if it's genuine. It will if it's real. And I hope it will. I hope it will. Therefore, whatever you do, whatever you do, don't stop believing. Don't stop believing. And don't just believe in Jesus. Live like it. Don't just believe in him. Live like it. And speak like it. Talk like it. Treat others like it. Post on your social media page like you believe. Stand up for him like you believe. And if you do all these things like Leah did, your faith will result in praise and glory and honor to him. Let's close our time in prayer. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the encouragement that you uh, have given to us through Peter's words. And Father, as we think about his insight, he had sp the spiritual eyes of a lion to, to see who was working, that the devil's working, but more importantly, God is working. And God is working to use trials that the devil brings about to, to test the genuineness of our faith. And Father, I, as we close, we, we think of Leah, and I thank you so much for this young lady. Father, she has no idea that we're talking about her this weekend and that her story is, is being made known to thousands of people, not just through here, but through many other um, avenues. And God, we pray for her, that you would strengthen her faith. We pray, Father, that you would intervene in her situation. And God, we plead with you to bring her freedom, that you would allow her to be released, that she can get back to her, to her family. But we pray that you would strengthen her faith. And I pray, Father, that you would give every one of us the faith of Leah. That you would help us not only believe in you, Jesus, but to live like it. 
to live like it every day. And even during this time of great trial, give us the courage and give us the faith to keep going on and to not give up and to not get down and not get discouraged because you are working. And I pray that at the end of the day, Father, that our faith will be proven to be genuine and it will result in praise and glory and honor to you. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. Thank you that when we feel isolated, we are never alone because you are always with us. Thank you that you will see us through this. One way or another, you will see us through this because you are a faithful God. We love you, Lord, and we thank you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.